Welcome to the Silver Caduceus Association podcast, where we take a break to explore how Medical Service Corps officers shape the story of the Army. This is our story, and I'm your host, Dave Paramore. Let's get started. Well, hello, everyone. Dave Paramore again. We're here for the Silver Caduceus Association podcast. Welcome. I, um, I'm joined today by Lieutenant Colonel Michelle Curley. She's the uh, Assistant Chief of Staff for Resource Management, otherwise known as the G8 for all of us who understand Army staff, for the Regional Health Command Atlantic. Um, she also serves as the Deputy Consultant uh, for Resource Managers, the 70 Charlies. Um, so welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Dave. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you here. I... Um, you know, we were uh, we were chatting in the lead up to this, and it's just such a, a pleasant conversation with Michelle. She was sharing a little bit about her career, and I thought it'd be helpful to kind of uh, talk to her here about this. Uh, Michelle, maybe um, just, you know, at a high level, give us, uh, our listeners, a little bit of background about yourself and uh, where you've been so far in the Medical Service Corps. Uh, of course, Dave. Um, actually, I didn't start off in the Medical Service Corps. I started off as a direct commission Army dietitian. Um, I served in that capacity for a full two years, but I felt really passionate about the Medical Service Corps mission. So I started tracking Medical Service Corps jobs um, after my two years time in service mark and then branch transferred um, at six years, uh, predominantly um, starting off in 70 hotel positions and then moving my way um, to 70 Charlie jobs by way of the Syracuse Defense Comptrollership Program. Um, as a 70 Charlie, I've served um, as a hospital CFO. Um, I've uh, served on um, DHA staff as an aide-de-camp to the director, um, congressional affairs, and then at the OTSG or Office of the Surgeon General Program Programming staff as well. And then currently, as you said, I am the G8 for Regional Health Command Atlantic. Wow, an impressive career. Um, amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And um, I mean, just hearing that with the experience at those highest levels of Defense Health Agency and Army Medical Department. Um, yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but uh, you know, what if you were to pick one of the most exciting stories um, during those times? Because you know, I think people live in two camps, right? They either will never go to Washington, D.C., or there are those that once they get there, they're like, well, this is actually kind of cool. I think I'll just stay here. And they, they kind of move around. But um, uh, I actually was in the latter. I uh, was one, well, I was in both. I was. Uh, I never wanted to go to D.C., but once I got there, it was actually a very rewarding experience. But um, would you uh, mind sharing your favorite story or just a, a high level of, of uh, one of those times in the D.C. area? Um, yeah, I would love to. Uh, probably... Most exciting um, and probably most interesting was working for the Director of Defense Health Agency um, when the National Defense Authorization Act 2017 um, was published. And um, that act put into place Defense Health Agency um, being directed to manage and oversee um, all of the medical treatment facilities. And so just getting a very intimate front row seat as to how that was processed at the highest levels was by far the most exciting and the busiest time of my career thus far. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, <laughs> just watching how decisions are made at that level. And it's a really exciting time. 
I know uh, folks like me who've been on the outside for a number of years now, and we uh, kind of watch, uh, we've been watching the development of this uh, pandemic and hearing exciting stories on previous podcasts about pandemic response. You know, I'm mindful that uh, you're in the resource management area, but as you know, as at least from from my uh, bleachers seat where I sit now, I, I see, uh, you know, the funding is a critical part of this pandemic response. Um, but uh, I'd be curious, and maybe our listeners would be curious as well, as to what um, what role you or your organization have played in, in pandemic response uh, to this point. Of course. Um, well, specifically in the G8 realm, um, we mirror much of what the higher headquarters is doing as directed to really look at how do we best capture the resource demands of the pandemic um, with unique cost collectors, but also kind of thinking outside the box in terms of manpower versus supplies versus how do you flex the contracts available to you um, to augment your military treatment facility so that you don't compromise the core mission, but while you also maintain um, the posture to be best protected against COVID. Um, from a higher level, I guess, in terms yeah. of the region, um, outside of that, of course, you know, cross-leveling um, the test initially, now we're moving into the place with the vaccines doing the same, prioritizing with it, which installations, you know, starting with Tradox installations, because those are the feeders for the bigger army, and then moving to Forcecom, and then, of course, your healthcare providers. Um, I think from a testing perspective, and then now a vaccine perspective is um, how the region has really viewed prioritizing um, COVID response. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't uh, certainly wasn't trying to cut you off there. I, it was just, uh, you know, it's, it's an exciting, exciting role that you've been playing. Um, you know, a common theme we've been thinking about on this podcast is kind of how medical service corps officers were uh, leader developed, and uh, certainly pandemic response was on the periphery of that. Um, particularly in my era, as growing up, we uh, obviously with uh, Desert Storm, and then. Uh, we had uh, the advent of Iran, Iraq, or the Iraq War, Global War on Terror, uh, early 2000s. Um, big, big muscle movement, so to speak, for uh, folks deploying. But uh, to hear your role here um, in pandemic response and uh, just such a critical mission. So um, thanks for sharing that. We um, we think about that in relation to kind of the relevance of medical service corps officers uh, listening to you uh, before we came on the air here. Um, you mentioned that you served in a role as a Silver Caduceus Society. Uh, I want to say coordinator, but you'll correct me on the, on the title, but um, you know, maybe um, you know, kind of what we're looking at here is the relevance of Silver Caduceus Society, those connections with uh, other Medical Service Corps officers on installation level, and then a broader picture of Silver Caduceus Association. Um, maybe, you know, just from your experience, um, some of the value that you've seen uh, with uh, Silver Caduceus Society and maybe Silver Caduceus Association as a whole, what are, what are some of the highlights that uh, maybe you'd be willing to share? 
Yeah, of course. Um, I found to be very valuable. Yes, I was coordinating and the president of the Silver Caduce Society on Fort Jackson um, from 2013 to 2015. Um, and from my point of view, the world works through relationships um, in terms of being able to connect with and then work with um, and problem solve with people. So I really tried to focus our efforts at Fort Jackson is building the relationship between the medical service corps officers within the hospital and then throughout the installation. Um, and to understand the value and the overlap of what everyone did. And then we also partnered with the Silver Caduce Association, um, the Palmetto chapter that was led by Colonel Retired Bernie Chapman. He was a 70 Alpha. Um, and we had a few events with them and it was really enlightening to kind of learn from them what their focus area was and their AOCs during their tenures versus where we had developed now. Um, so it was a very mutually beneficial experience and, and networking um, relationships um, are invaluable. And I think for us in the, in the short term, as well as the long term, professionally speaking. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks. Uh, thanks for that insight. Um, it, that's, it had been very uh, a common theme and very, uh, you know, I'd say a, a, a reinforced theme throughout the course of this podcast is folks value um, those relationships and mentoring and uh, connections at, uh, you know, at, at events to the extent that we can have them. Um, you know, one of the one of the things we think about, uh, at least in this age of the pandemic, um, What's life like now on an installation where there are medical service corps officers? And of course, we have, you know, for good reason, um, social distancing and safety measures in play. Uh, what is your experience like? Are there creative ways that um, uh, medical service corps officers or officers in general can connect um, even during the pandemic to uh, to benefit from some of those uh uh, camaraderie opportunities. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because it's almost contradictory um, consequences. On one hand, there's um, there's a barrier now to connecting and that fellowship of getting together, whether it would have been for an officer's call um, or for an OPD in a, in a large room where you're shaking hands, you know, the power of touch, hugging a friend you haven't seen, um, in a, in a month or so, um, to now being able to very quickly connect with somebody over video um, from how DOD has adapted to Microsoft Teams, um, being able to connect with somebody on the other side of the uh, of the globe by way of video. So on a set, on another hand, you know, it's actually created um, or strengthened relationships. Interesting. Uh, you're right. It's almost that. Uh, um... You mentioned the consequence, you know, an unintended consequence. It's uh, it's turned into an opportunity. Um, the benefit. I was joking with uh, friends of mine or colleagues of mine that uh, you know, with the advent of the pandemic and watching industry shift to, as you mentioned, some of these uh, platform technologies that offer uh, remote attendance to meetings. And I and I would joke that you know we were we were doing this in two thousand four in Iraq on. Uh, information workspace or IWS, as we called it, uh, it was kind of the advent of voice over internet technology. And now it's become commonplace um, and we're able to leverage that. So I think in many ways, the military was on the leading edge and was able to just kind of keep 
keep things moving. And you, as you said, you can connect in real time that way. So that's, that's really cool. Um, well, Michelle, um, you know, that, thank you for, for sharing your insights. Is there any, any parting thought that you would have for our listeners uh, today that, uh, that, that you think would be helpful to them? Uh, parting thought. I, I appreciate um, the time here. I think uh, for those that are um, retired or active duty medical service corps officers, um, having been a part of a partnership between the two, um, I think there's a lot of value add. And I would I would ask that folks um, get involved um, and seek out the opportunities to partner with your your counterpart on the Silver Producers Association or society. Fantastic. Thanks, Michelle. Um, appreciate your time here today as well. And uh, I'm sure we'll connect again in the future. And um, thanks for joining. So, uh, well, everyone, that's uh, we have come to another conclusion of our uh, podcast episode today. We've been uh, having a great conversation with Lieutenant Colonel Michelle Curley, the uh, G8 for Regional Health Command Atlantic. And she's had some uh, amazing insights as to uh, you know, her experiences uh, on active duty now, with the pandemic response, but just underscoring the um, the importance of uh, connecting as medical service corps officers. And so we thank her for her insights today. As always, you can uh, find us on our website at silvercaducesassociation.org. And uh, we look forward to uh, talking to you soon. For more information or to listen to other episodes, please visit silvercaducesassociation.org.